BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. We sure do. That's right, we do. And this is our 10th time doing it. Yeah, well, it's not. It's like our 15th time doing it. Well, that's true. But this is the publicly (laughs) released 10th time doing it. Yes, it it is. (laughs) Oh, how do you feel yeah. after starting episode 10? <laughs> because we haven't finished so, episode 10. But listen, I the last week of my life has been tumultuous in regards to the podcast because first I was going to be covering a different topic and I got like halfway through it and I got bored with it. Even though it's not a boring story, I just got bored writing it. And so middle of the week, I decided to change gears and then... We attended a wonderful, beautiful wedding for my mm-hmm. brother and his yeah. new wife. Shout out to the booze, mm-hmm. um, which was so great. But that's, you know, prime time for me to get work done. Yeah. And so I'm coming up from behind with having zero, <laughs> barely <laughs> any work done on this story and then being gone out of town for a weekend. Mm-hmm. So I had to like really frantically get through this. So we are once again, I'm hoping this is not a theme with me, but we're once again uh, going to be diving into a story that I have not yet proofread. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think, I think it's going to be incredible and I'm looking forward to hearing. All I hope I don't make people mad. I think people are going to get mad at me on this one. We'll see. Oh. Well, There's some controversy. Oh, controversial. Oh yeah. Well, before we get all, controversial Mm -hmm. why don't we uh answer the question what are you drinking over there well i bought some more of those simply spiked lemonades (laughs) they're so good they're so good Uh, but i forgot to put them in the fridge Mm -hmm. so i am drinking a watermelon simply spiked lemonade in a glass jar with a metal straw and ice Nice. So we will definitely be hearing all about that. Yes. While you're drinking it. I'm hoping you don't hear the clink. It's a test. 
The metal straw with the glass was a bad idea. Yes. (laughs) I gave it away pretty quick. I just have to remove the metal straw. What are you drinking? Oh, I am drinking a plain old Coca-Cola. Spicy drink. Spicy, spicy drink. (laughs) Because uh, it's late. You just needed a boost. I just needed something to, yeah, power me up and get this thing going. But not too much, which is why you didn't do the do or a Red Bull. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But if any of those people want to sponsor us. We're here for it. We're here for it. Just throwing it out there. If you're trying to get your drink. Mountain Dew, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) If you want your drink to be heard by tens of listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Kill me, man. You're funny. Well, my dear, my love, are you going to... Just with a feel-good fact before I you am. Drop I love this, on this one heads. so much. I love this one. Okay. So there's an American death metal band called Hate Beak. Nice. Whose lead singer is an African gray parrot named Waldo. They don't tour so that the bird doesn't get like stressed out, but they have released songs such as Bird Seeds of Vengeance and Hellbent for Feathers. Look them up. <laughs> it huh. will make your day. Like you go to Wikipedia and it lists out the members. And there's Waldo, <laughs> vocalist. <laughs> oh, It's so great. It's so great. I'm pretty sure Waldo's the only avian vocalist out there, too, that we know of. Wow. So, yeah. Other than the birds that are, like, in the Nature Sounds songs. Uh, yeah, but he's on record. It's true. It's true. He's listed. He's in a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those other posers, they're not doing anything like that. <laughs> I'm a Waldo stan. <laughs> Oh man, I just like smiled listening to this music. It it made me so happy. So yeah, that's today's feel good fact. Hate beak. Hate beak. (laughs) One word, look it up. It's one word. Everyone's new favorite avian metal band. Yes. Love it. Everyone should love hate beak. That's what we're trying to say here. That's it. Well, with that, my love, what do you have for us tonight? All right. So since summertime is slowly winding down and we're creeping towards the beauty and magnificence of fall and spooky season, I thought that before we enter into that magical time of year that we should focus on something that feels like kind of summery to me. So I'm trying something new to me at least. So I'm going to tell you about a lake in the United States that's reported to be haunted and is full of controversy and many corpses. So here's your disclaimer that in today's episode, we will discuss all kinds of distressing themes from upsetting racially motivated crimes to a quick mention of sexual assault. Uh, There's also brief mention of a child's death. So today I'm going to be telling you all about Lake Lanier. Hold on, Kevbot, because this one's a doozy. Okay, so Lake Lanier is a reservoir located in northern Georgia, roughly 60 or so miles from Atlanta, and is the result of the construction of the Buford Dam that was built in 1956. Um, They constructed it to kind of control flooding, simplify navigation on the Chattahoochee River, and as a means to utilize for like hydroelectric energy to supply to the city of Atlanta that was growing pretty steadily at the time. Hmm. It was a project given to the Army Corps of Engineers and was one of many similar projects at the time. So five counties in Georgia have at least a little of Lake Lanier and it's like branches that spread from the main body of water, which is somewhere around 700 square miles of shoreline. So this thing is huge. Wow. So it was clear from the very beginning that something was amiss with Lake Lanier. Every single aspect of constructing the lake was complicated and sometimes like worse than complicated. But even before construction staff broke ground at what would eventually become Lake Lanier, this spot was already home to a dark history. I'll talk more about that later because it's a lot. So I'm going to give you a little history of the area kind of like overall, and then I'll get into why so many people are convinced that Lake Lanier is haunted. Okay. So in regards to constructing the lake itself, there was drama before they even broke ground at the site. For starters, the lake was approved in conjunction with the construction of the Buford Dam, as I'd mentioned, and the project was supposed to cost somewhere around $46 million, Hmm. which considering the overall climate in the United States at the time, uh, which was at this time, it was like the 1940s that they were approving the project. Mm -hmm. We can factor in things like the Great Depression recently ending as well as World War II. So building a giant expensive body of water seems kind of off to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can plead ignorance on yeah, that pretty yeah. easily, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me on the timing. Sure. So not only was this a pricey endeavor, but it probably could have been timed a little bit better as well. Hmm. Yeah. So not only that, but later on down the road, what's known as the tri-state water dispute would take place between Florida, Alabama, and Georgia, with Alabama and Florida desiring to claim access to the downstream water supply coming from the Chattahoochee River. Hmm. The mindset was that since Congress approved this project and sort of commissioned the Corps to construct it, that only the interests of Georgians were taken into account and that the Buford Dam had blocked access to water that was needed in their states for all sorts of things, Hmm. from like overall water supply to preserving endangered species and things like that. So that was a thing. Also, from the get-go, they couldn't even agree on the name of the lake. So it was just like every little detail was stressful and like not working out. Yeah. So by the time they had officially broken ground on the project, it still wasn't named. Hmm. Eventually they settled on the name Lake Sydney Lanier or Lake Lanier for short. Who was Sydney Lanier? You may be asking. I am asking that. He was a poet and a songwriter and a Confederate soldier. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A Confederate soldier. So just casual. Yeah. So the next controversial issue was that, as I kind of alluded to, the lake was set to be huge. They always intended it to be huge. And so they had to clear over 50,000 acres of land out. Hmm. I can't picture that in my brain. 50,000 acres. It's a lot in five counties. I mean, it's no joke. That's all. Yeah. So in order to do this, whole towns and acres of farmland, cemeteries, homes, churches, and businesses were in the area where they wanted the lake to be. So how did they handle this problem, you might be wondering? Yes. They just had everyone leave. What? There's a lot of debate on how this was actually done, with many people saying they just straight up ran people out, others saying that they had bought land from people that the project had displaced, um, somewhere around 700 families had their properties bought from them. But the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers website says that a majority of the land that they had used to build the lake had been long since abandoned Hmm. for the most part and that they didn't build over any like active townships or cemeteries. So. Well, it's smart of them, I guess, but this seems very. I feel like you're about to say more. That's. Next is in all caps, (laughs) however, (laughs) with the cemeteries, keeping in mind that this is the South, it's a pretty well-known fact that generally speaking, slaves didn't receive grave markers. Mm. And since they didn't use ground penetrating radar when they were doing the the surveying of the land or whatever, there's absolutely no way that they can confirm that the lake wasn't built over any graves at all. So the idea that the lake was built directly on top of active towns, specifically black towns with mostly black residents that were run out, is actually based on some truth. It just happened like way before the construction of the lake had begun in a town called Oscarville in Forsyth County, Georgia. Hmm. So I'm going to take us all the way back to 1912 in Forsyth County, Georgia. Okay. I am completely certain that we have listeners who are unfortunately all too familiar with the history that has happened in Forsyth County. Many, many atrocities Mm. over the last couple hundred years. I think that at some point I actually do want to cover some of the specific crimes in more detail because there are a lot and they're all awful. And I feel like we should all take the time to like learn about that. But for now, I'm just going to kind of give Mm. a zoomed out overview of the way things were in Forsyth County at that time. Okay. Before I do, I'm going to once again make a disclaimer that, of course, this area being kind of marked by really violent racism Mm -hmm. isn't a direct reflection of every single person who lives in the area. Right. Of course, everywhere you go, even in places that are populated by some real nasty people, Mm -hmm. you're not by default guilty. For right. living there. So I just wanted to throw that out there before yeah. I got into this because it's bad. And I don't want people to be like, if we somehow have a listener in uh, <laughs> Georgia that's like, hey, that's not fair. I'm not a disgusting, murderous racist. Like, of course you're not. I know you're not. Right. I love you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. And keep going. Okay. So there was a ton of racial tension at this time being the early 1900s. So much so that all that needed to happen in order for a black man to be executed, sometimes with people 
like hundreds of people in attendance mm. was for them to be accused falsely or otherwise of just about anything. Oh, wow. Harsh treatment from white neighbors was not limited to black men, to be clear. There was a story I read about a little white boy and a little black girl who happened to have been picking peaches in the same area. When the little boy was struck with something, he claimed that the girl threw a rock at him. Oh, geez. She was like six or seven. She's little. Yeah. So when the community heard about this, nobody asked any questions. This little girl's father went into town to kind of try and make it right, make peace with everybody. Yeah. Um, and they beat him to a bloody pulp before he could even get a word in. Oh. Hurling threats at him that if he dared showed up again, that he and his entire family would essentially be in for it. Oh. So not great. Yeah. So the town had a fence line separating black and white homes and farms. And while many people in the community had no issues working together at their various trades, it's like it was a totally different world hmm. as soon as a white resident was even somewhat inconvenienced. Black neighbors were blamed just about 100% of the time, and lynchings and violent beatings were beginning to become commonplace. Oh. It's very heartbreaking to read about. So I'm just going to give another little warning. This mm -hmm. is really bad. So one story in particular is very deeply upsetting, but I feel this highlights how awful this time was. So in September of 1912, an 18-year-old farmer's daughter by the name of Sleety May Crow, or just May, went missing. Mm -hmm. She was found in the area that would later become Lake Lanier. She had been severely beaten and sexually assaulted, oh. but she was alive when they found her. Oh, wow. She was rushed to the hospital and was pronounced dead just days later. Because this story is more than 100 years old, some details get kind of skewed mm -hmm. or maybe even invented as time has gone on. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's worth including that some people said that she regained consciousness for long enough to identify her attacker. But that's mm -hmm. simply, it's just not true. Oh, it's okay. not true. So all of the reputable sources that I used to research this story said she never regained consciousness after she was discovered. So as soon as people got wind that she'd passed away, being a member of a beloved family in the community... It wasn't long before people started accusing their black neighbors mm. of the awful crime. Yeah. And the crime was awful. What happened yeah. to poor May is awful. So this is where the whole details get muddy and lost over time idea mm -hmm. comes into play again. Right. So it's alleged, but has never been proven, that a 16-year-old black boy by the name of Ernest Knox had told a group of his friends that what he had done to May Crow and that they had gone to go see her as she lay dying in the woods all alone. The people he oh. allegedly told this to were his friend, Oscar Daniel, age 17, Oscar's sister, Trussie Jane Daniel, age 22, and Jane's longtime boyfriend, Robert Big Rob Edwards, who was 24. Hmm. They would eventually be arrested in connection with May's case as well. Other sources say that it was Big Rob who'd confessed and named the others, but either way, hmm. turns out it would later be revealed that law enforcement had subjected Knox, who was, in case we forgot, a child. Yeah. Uh, they subjected him to what's known as mock lynching. Oh. And they told him the only way to avoid being lynched for real would be if he would confess and name other names. Oh, what? Oh, I don't yeah. like that. I literally wept reading this. It's so sad. The false or like coerced confession thing is really upsetting to me also yeah. just across the board. Yeah. So it turns out that Knox and the others that he had named as being part of the murder just so happened to live near the scene of the crime. Mm. They were the closest black people. Yeah. Really. I truly believe after all the reading that I've done so far about this story, that that's like the reason why these people were named at all because yeah. they live close by Gosh. and they were black. They were black in the wrong area. Yeah. Which sucks. So needless to say, once word got out about this, whether or not it was true, a large mob of white men gathered ready to exact their revenge. Yeah. Police could sense the seriousness of the ordeal. And given the fact that these sorts of like lynch mobs were, as I've said, sort of like commonplace in the mm. region at the time, mm -hmm. I guess they wanted to prevent it from getting out of hand. So they took Knox by car to a prison out of town to avoid a lynching so Knox could go to trial. Mm -hmm. While this was happening, Another woman had recently accused a young black man of raping her as well with no evidence. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So he was also in prison with the others awaiting trial. Never mind the fact that law enforcement admittedly withheld the names of the other leads in the rape case that they were more seriously investigating than this young man. So mm. uh, his name was Tony Howell. And for the record, I just have to say this. Mm -hmm. 
the sheriff at the time was an active and enthusiastic member of the KKK. Yeah. So that's good. That's worth noting. Yeah. Sure. So by October, the situation had escalated to the point that mobs in Oscarville had grown into the thousands and they would sort of head out at night. Yeah. So I haven't finished it yet, but I'm reading a book that goes into depth about this story and the aftermath of these events. It's called Blood at the Root by Patrick Phillips, who was actually a resident in Forsyth County. Uh, he said that he would learn about the events that I'm about to describe from peers smeared with racial slurs and the, quote, keep Forsyth white mentality mm. almost immediately after he moved there when he was seven. Jeez. Seven-year-olds were talking about this. So the culture there was not great right. in the 80s either. So yeah. anyways, he spent years combing over old documents and articles that he found while researching through like long archived information as it was being digitized. Mm -hmm. This book is beautifully written. It does a great job explaining what happened here, but it's a hard read. I think everybody should read it though. So anyway, um, October Forsyth County, it's said in the book that the trial was pretty fast and easy. Trussie was released and Oscar Daniel Ernest Knox and Rob Edwards were tried and found guilty by a jury of all white jurors because black mm. residents, though they were allowed to work and have families and all of that, were in so many words barred from voting or participating in anything in regards to like local oh government. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That's its own story too. But continuing on, all three were found guilty and were sentenced to hang. Another big content warning. This is probably the most graphic thing I've covered so far. Mm -hmm. This next part has been reported in two different ways. The first is that an extremely large mob had formed outside of the prison where Edwards was being held. It's said that they broke into the prison and either beat or shot him to death. The other way this was reported was that he was dragged, alive and screaming, pleading for his life from his cell, fastened to the back of a wagon by a noose tied around his neck, and dragged through the streets until he eventually died. Oh. Once he was dead, it's the same in both versions of the story, once he was dead, his body was strung up on a oh. pole in town center and people took turns shooting at his lifeless body and cheering. Oh, geez. Literally, I like can hardly breathe as I'm reading this. So it's said that a crowd of several hundred had gathered to watch. So despite public hangings being illegal at this time, the other two boys, who were both teenagers, mm -hmm. which I feel like I, I just can't get over that. Yeah. So they were set to hang the following day. So there was a barrier in place to keep hangings from being visible to the public, and the lovely townspeople burned it down. It said that somewhere around 8,000 of the 12,000 residents at the time were in attendance, cheering and celebrating. Oh my gosh. It's very sad. And just like disgusting. Yeah. It's like... Mob mentality is so dangerous. Yeah. Well, it, it, it has shadows of like, like Roman Colosseum I know. stuff, but like... I obviously this it's different, but it's, I feel like it's worse <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's so recent, yeah. you know? Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make something better or worse, but it feels worse because yeah. like our parents were alive for that, you know? Yeah. Like that's crazy. I mean, me. they weren't alive in 1912, but I get what you mean. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's, Hard. it does feel, we feel less removed from it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the day finally came to lay May Crow to rest. According to witness accounts, it was a sad and somber day, but at night, all hell broke loose. Yeah. A group of white men intent on, quote, cleansing the area, mm. uh, these guys mm -hmm. were known as the Night Riders, would oh. begin a quest that would take them many nights and would only grow in momentum, especially with the accusations of things like rape being thrown around more frequently also. So they began going door to door, firing shots into black homes, killing their livestock, and informing all black residents that they would need to leave immediately or they would be next to hang in the streets. Yeah. So literal terrorism. Jeez. By the end of October, all of the nearly 1,098 black residents had been forced from their homes, almost none of them receiving any money for their property, livestock, or businesses that they had to abandon. Ugh. White residents were gathering harvest-ready crops, livestock, and other valuables left behind by their black neighbors and just taking them into their own homes. Jeez. So this is one major reason that many people believe that Lake Lanier is haunted. That anywhere, the idea is that kind of like anywhere with a past this dark and violent must be crawling with something. Right. Some remnant of like the consequences of that level of evil. Others say that the location was chosen as a sort of effort to bury the dark past. Hmm. 
After reading about the things seen at the lake, I'm not surprised that many people factor in these events and others like it as being like contributing factors to like the bad vibes. (laughs) So Lake Lanier took seven years to complete. It took several years to construct the dam and then to wait for the lake itself Mm -hmm. to kind of fill up. Yeah. Because the dam's water was supplied by the Chattahoochee River and then Lake Lanier's water is supplied by the Buford Dam. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not like a bathtub that takes five minutes to fill up. It's a right. huge, huge hole. <laughs> so, yeah. So <laughs> since that day, some pretty weird stuff has happened there. So as I sort of brought up already, it's reported that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers bought the properties off of remaining residents in the area. Some 700 families were offered, get this, $30 an acre for their land. $30 an acre. Which is, is not much. It's Is that okay? I'm going to keep going on this. Okay. So one farmer, he was like a multi-generational farmer. He was offered $4,100 for his property, which was over 100 acres of farmland. And it had been in his family forever. Oh. If this transaction went down today, it'd be something like between forty five dollars and $50,000. Okay. Yeah, for a so hundred acre farm. That's way undercut. Yeah. How? So the whole thing was just sketchy. Yeah. Did you have a question? Well, why would anybody say yes to that? I mean, they kind of didn't have an option. I mean, they kind of didn't. Oh, man. Because the project was approved by Congress. So they just had to say yes to selling their land for pennies? From my understanding, that's just kind of what it was. That's crazy. Yeah, and I, I mean, that. it's also like, I know the 50s isn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. But like, it's long ago enough that the climate of owning property is quite different. Sure. You yeah. know? Quite different. So the whole controversy with the lake being built over cemeteries is still hotly debated as well. Hmm. The Corps claimed that they moved all of the graves in all of the cemeteries, like mm-hmm. they relocated the bodies. But a lot of people, myself included, don't buy it, right. considering what we talked about before with the right. with the unmarked graves and that sort of stuff. So the remaining buildings were burnt down or demolished. Same with homes, which just makes me sad. Yeah. It's like thinking about all of like the history they just like literally burnt down and people's like multi-generations of multiple generations of like raising your kids and all that kind of stuff. Like that bums me out. So they just destroyed all of it. They did leave some trees standing. However, (laughs) the requirement was that the trees would need to be short enough that they would remain 35 feet below the surface of the lake once it was at full capacity. So it's talked about how while some things were moved or demolished by the core during constructions, some things were just left. Yeah. So bridges, ferries, and like a ferry system, roadways, and an actual racetrack were left intact. In 2001, (laughs) yeah, I know, just a racetrack, no biggie. So in 2001, during a particularly rough drought, the levels at the lake had dropped so low that the tops of trees, parts of ferries, and parts of the racetrack were just like casually visible. (laughs) They weren't, submerged Weird. just chilling out in the oh, open yeah Weird. some residents actually could remember attending races at the racetracks as children so there was this like eerie feeling that mm-hmm. a lot of them described about like a forgotten childhood yeah. memory that had been plunged into the depths yeah. just to come back into view but with like decades of decaying underwater yeah, yeah. Now, i read a lot of people talking about like it's weird because i remember being little with my parents and going there right and now i'm now i have grandkids I can, and, and i can see it yeah it's, Isn't that weird? Yeah. Hmm. That would be, I feel like that's a very unique feeling that that must be. Right. So many people believe that the destruction that was necessary for this lake to be constructed in the first place is another contributing factor to its haunted, controversial status. I've kind of been skirting around the really weird stuff for the sake of laying the background. Mm -hmm. So it's high time we start talking about that. Time to get weird. Yes. If you've made it this far through my history lesson... And bless your little heart, because <laughs> I truly did not anticipate this episode going that way to start out when I first started researching it. Mm-hmm. Like, I heard a ghost story and was like, oh, that needs to be the next next episode, like a ghost story. Mm-hmm. It turns out it's much more than a ghost it story. It's much more than a ghost story. Yeah. So I fell down the rabbit hole on this one. Surprise. So <laughs> we're going to keep the ball rolling. So at its deepest point, Lake Lanier is nearly 260 feet deep. Coupling that with the actual forest and remnants of towns beneath the surface, this is just a generally unsafe place. 
Right. The lake was at no point intended to be used for any recreational purposes whatsoever. But alas, it has become a massively popular spot for vacationers Hmm. and partiers alike, bringing in upwards of 12 million visitors a year. Wow. Lots of visitors. That is a, yes, that's a lot of people to a lake that you're not supposed to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For a while it was, (laughs) I was seeing between seven and 8 million. And then like a recent thing said up, up to 12 million had visited the lake and there's like restaurants and attractions. There's a water park. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So we'll keep going. Yeah. So there's like, before I go do that, there are signs in different areas of the lake particularly in the most dangerous areas that tell beachgoers that they may not swim there. But lo and behold, they swim there anyways. (laughs) There have been many deaths, many, many deaths by drowning on Lake Lanier. Do you want to know how many? Yes. So it's estimated that more than 700 deaths have occurred at Lake Lanier. Over 200 of these deaths have occurred since 1994. Oh. And those are just the deaths that have been confirmed. Hmm. They also believe that somewhere between 25 and 30, at least, uh, bodies have not been recovered from the lake. Oh, wow. People who said, I was swimming with somebody, mm-hmm. they went under and didn't come back, but they haven't been recovered. And then it goes to even the people that we don't know have been yeah. left in the lake. Or bodies dumped there like after right. after being murdered. Right. Yeah. Crazy. So gross. So just over Memorial Day weekend this year. 10 people died in either boating or drowning incidents in a weekend. Yeah. To be fair, you have to factor in that this lake for whatever unfathomable reason is a party lake. People (laughs) like to spend their days out on good old Lake Lanier drinking and hanging out with friends. And as is understandable, when things get out of hand, even in a safe lake accidents happen, you know? Right. A lot of locals, I'll talk a little bit about this at the end, but a lot of locals are like, that's not haunted. People just drink too much in open water and that's dangerous, you know? Right. But even still, 700 deaths is pretty intense. That's a lot. It's a lot of deaths for one. Even though it's a large lake, it feels like to have that many deaths. Man, I just, I, I don't know if I have even heard of 10% of that mm-hmm. at all the different lakes that we have around here. Yeah. And we've got some old lakes here yeah. too. Yeah. And we've had, we have naturally occurring ones and man-made ones like right. Lake Lanier. Right. So it's crazy to me to think that one place could have that many. Yeah. Even if people are partying on it. Like, yeah. That's a very dangerous place. It's very <laughs> don't, dangerous. Don't go there. Cause, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Like when I, when I Googled Lake Lanier, when I first started this, it was like article after article that were one to three days old that were like, boat explodes Five injured in massive boat fire. <laughs> Two more bodies recovered from drowning. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Wow. It's wild. Yeah. It is wild. Sounds like it. So I dug around through YouTube and Reddit to learn about some of the experiences that people have had on Lake Lanier. Many of them could be explained pretty simply by mixing dangerous waters with too much alcohol. And other experiences were a little harder to explain. Hmm. So one that I came across on Reddit said that a friend of theirs had been out on a lake just floating on either rafts or pool noodles. He said that his friend decided to head back to the dock and that the other guy who was with him wanted to swim for a few more minutes. Mm. The friend said that the guy dove beneath the surface and just never came up. He was found just sort of resting at the bottom of part of the lake. He wasn't twisted or tangled up in any branches or anything. It's believed that he got disoriented and just kind of lost his sense of direction when he then drowned. Others would chalk a story like this up to a very scary thing that others have reported. Mm. Yes. So people who were nearly victims of drownings, many of them describe a similar experience. They say that they were swimming or floating in the lake when suddenly they felt what they all describe as tens of hands grabbing them and pulling them down. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Many also say that it feels like all of the breath in their lungs is kind of like snatched, like immediately away from them. So they get this feeling of like panic and passing out almost immediately after going under the surface. Skeptics of these kinds of claims would say that this is just a panic response from getting twisted and dragged beneath the surface. Right. Our brains do come up with wild things when we're in a panic. Yeah. But other people absolutely believe that whatever it is that these drowning survivors are experiencing is something supernatural. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll just let you make up your mind on what you think. 
Another commonly reported spooky story around the lake is that of a mysterious shadowy figure that has been seen floating on a raft in the middle of the night with a lantern and a pole to help him navigate the dark waters. So a few people have reported seeing this, but the best story that I could find on the shadowy raft man was a report made by two fishermen. So the two fishermen were out on Lake Lanier in fall around 1 a.m. They noticed a light about a half mile away floating in an area that had a depth of around 45 feet. Hmm. The shadowy figure could be seen using the pole to navigate the water, which doesn't make sense considering that a pole that would be used for that purpose could not reach the bottom of the lake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But whatever. So anyways, out of nowhere, the figure stood up and shouted something at the fishermen. It then dove into the freezing cold water and began swimming towards them. Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) So these are seasoned fishermen. They don't spook easily, but they were freaked out enough to pull out their fishing lines and try to hightail it out of there when suddenly the light from the lantern on the raft went out. So they're just in the pitch black night, a shadowy (laughs) figure having just screamed at them and is now swimming towards them. So they shone their spotlight in the direction of the raft And not only was the raft gone, but there was no sign of the figure either. Oh, my gosh. And, like, the top of the lake was, like, perfectly still. Ooh. Isn't that weird? Yeah. What would you do if you saw that? I might honestly just pass out. Just cry. I would be another unfortunate (laughs) accident at Lake Lanier. I passed out from fear. Oh. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. So, I can't talk about Lake Lanier without talking about one of the more famous ghosts, the Lady of the Lake. Ooh. In April of 1958, two friends, Susie Roberts and Delia Parker Young, were driving in Susie's car on Dawsonville Highway when they lost control of the vehicle on the right side of Lanier Bridge, sending it into the lake. It sunk down an estimated 90 feet into the depths, Mm. and it got all tangled and twisted into broken branches and trunks of trees beneath the surface. So investigators knew that a car had crashed here because they could see skid marks heading off of the side of the bridge. Yeah. And they assumed that it was Susie and Delia because they went missing the night of the accident. Mm. But it would be some time before either of them would be found. Mm. In 1959, a year later, a body was discovered by a fisherman. The body was missing two toes off of one of the feet and both of the hands were missing as well. Oh, that's weird. That could obviously, like, it could be from being in the water so long, animals, decomposition, all that kind of stuff. But anyways, the body was badly bloated and decomposed, so it was hard to identify. But many believed that it was Delia. The strange thing Mm. about this is that many residents that have passed through that area on the highway claim to have seen a young woman in a blue dress missing her hands and sort of sauntering around, appearing to be visibly upset almost like she was lost. It has sort of become like a rite of passage for students in the area to drive out on that highway at night in hopes of seeing the Lady of the Lake. They placed, yeah, isn't that weird? yeah. And like a lot of people say that they've seen it. Yeah, it's really strange. So obviously people could be making it up. I always feel like I have to play devil's advocate, but like I like to suspend disbelief and just believe everything everyone says because it's more exciting, so... (laughs) more fun that way it is so they placed the body that they had found in an unmarked grave since they couldn't identify it with 100 certainty and time moved on yeah poor Susie's body would be recovered in november of 1990 over 30 years after the accident wow yeah isn't that sad yeah it's a long time how do they know that it's her so there was construction crews coming in Mm -hmm to update the bridge Mm -hmm. and they were kind of dredging the area around the bridge when they found her car. Mm. So they pulled the remains out of the car and then she was identified via dental remains. And this was actually like national news with her discovery. Wow. So being able to identify her body, they then added Delia's name to the previously unmarked gravestone Mm -hmm. and laid both of them to rest. So many people say that to this day, you can still see the lady of the lake sadly wandering around the highway, searching for something that she still hasn't been able to find even after all these years. Oh. I hope that's not true. It's like sad and gives me goosebumps and spooky. And I know. There's a lot of emotions that happen with that. I know. <laughs> me, I agree. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so outside of the supernatural claims are the claims that the catfish in the lake are like out of control, massive <laughs> and hungry for some people snacks. Mm. 
So we have these same stories here in Nebraska as well. But as the legend goes, divers performing maintenance or exploring the lake have reported seeing catfish the size of cars, like Volkswagens (laughs) is the car that they used. Uh, Yeah. In like particularly deep areas of the lake. Yeah. People claim that they appear to be upwards of 200 plus pounds and can swallow you whole if they feel like it. There are actually, (laughs) I read this later, but so I didn't put it in my notes, but there are reports that fishermen have said that they'll be fishing Mm -hmm. and they'll hook something and then their boat will just get dragged around the lake (laughs) until either the line breaks or they cut it. Yeah. So they're assuming it's the monster catfish. Oh my gosh. Which is like a little comical, but like I would be so scared (laughs) I would pass out again. Yeah. (laughs) And pass out from the fear of it. Just taking a little ride. Right. (laughs) No joke. So the question remains as to how they get this big, but Lake Lanier has a unique explanation for why their catfish are such monsters. It's the legendary chicken truck story. Oh. Yeah. It's got a name. Yeah. Wow. So it's said that in the late 1980s, a large truck carrying chickens crashed off of the Thompson Bridge into Lake Lanier, Mm -hmm. which bridge crashes happen a lot at Lake Lanier. Hmm. People just fly off the bridge all the time in their cars. Well, they're trying to avoid hitting the lady of the lake. (laughs) Duh. Yeah. Yeah. So after the vehicle had crashed, they sent divers down to investigate it. And the divers claimed to have seen, and I quote, 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 catfish the size of 12 year old boys swallowing these chickens whole. End quote. What? Yeah. The person who told this story claimed that it's not only 100% true, but that his daughter was one of the divers. And that despite being a very skilled and experienced diver, that she's never done another dive since seeing the catfish in Lake Lanier. Wow. Yeah. So. Horrifying. Considering the depths of the lake and a few other factors, could giant fish be surviving and thriving at the bottom? Yeah, Hmm. totally. Interesting. The chicken truck story, whether or not it's true, I kind of don't care Mm -hmm. because it's (laughs) kind of hilarious. Like RIP chickens, but like. (laughs) Kind of awesome. Yeah. They're just like having a little chicken, little chicken nugget time. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not unreasonable to, to believe that there are large, large, large fish in that lake. Yeah. It's like pretty like commonly accepted. It sounds like there. It sounds like it. Yeah. Oh. Well, and the thing about it too, that I feel like devil's advocate again is our eyes can also tricks on us we're mm-hmm. like they're probably huge but they're yeah. probably like 50 pounds yeah like, i don't yeah. know how much catfishing you've done but i remember i've done a lot you yes. know this yeah um yeah. this city boy has done absolutely <laughs> zero catfishing so you've never caught a catfish in uh, all your days not on purpose <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i've done a lot and i've seen like my dad or my uncle pull in a five pound catfish yeah and they're huge I mean, I'm also comparing them, I suppose, with the little tiny ones that I was catching, but right. And they're, they're intimidating because they're like wide. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen what a large catfish looks like and I'm, I'm just. Or people that catch the big, like prize winning ones that are like, I don't know, I'm, I'm estimating here, but like 30 pounds or something like that. And they're like as big as like the guy's like holding it from like parallel to his shoulders and they go, (laughs) oh, goes all the way to the ground, you know, like, so if they're 15 times that size, that's pretty horrifying. Yeah. So I say all of that to say it's possible that fish that big are alive out there, but it's also possible that they're not quite that big. And when they're stumbled upon, someone yeah. sees their abnormally large size and assumes they're bigger than they are, if that makes sense. Yeah. That was like a weird tangent. <laughs> no, no, I think that's funny. The, I just looked this up. The largest catfish ever caught in the U S was on January 16th, 2004 in Howe, Texas. And it was a blue catfish that weighed in at 121.5 pounds. Oh my god! Which is not only a Texas state record, oh, but also a world record. Oh my gosh, is there a picture is, of it? Yeah, this thing's huge. Oh, we have to put it's, it. Oh my gosh, I've seen that picture. Yeah. So double that is what people are saying. Yeah. And like they're, they have those big, huge mouths. Yeah. Spooky. Oh, wow. Yeah, we'll put a picture of that on the gram. That's creepy. 
Okay, so I have a few stories of verifiable crimes that have happened on the lake that I'm going to share, and then we'll land this plane and move on. Okay. So, yeah. first I'm going to talk about the disappearance of Kelly Nash. So in 2015, Kelly Nash was a 25-year-old college student who was pursuing a degree in accounting and who also worked with his dad at his dad's construction company. Hmm. He was described as extremely passionate and considerate, hardworking and motivated. His father said that he knew what he wanted in life and was on the path to getting there. So Hmm. on January 5th, 2015, Kelly had been having a hard time sleeping. He had either like a flu or a cold at the time. And he'd just been sort of like laying in bed, uncomfortable, sneezing and coughing and all that. So he didn't want to wake up his girlfriend, Jessica. So he got up and headed towards the couch to go play some video games until it was time for him to start his day. Hmm. Jessica woke up and saw that Kelly was gone. So she went to the living room to check on him. He was there in a pajama shirt and pants playing video games. So nothing abnormal so far. Yeah. So he explained why he had gone out to the living room and told her she could go back to bed and get some more rest. Around 7.30 a.m., Jessica got up to let the dog out and Kelly was gone. Hmm. So the weird thing is that even though Kelly was nowhere to be found, the garage door had been cracked open. Oh. Just a little bit. And the only things missing from the home were a nine millimeter pistol and a single clip for the pistol. So his wallet, keys, ID, and things that he would need and would normally bring with him were left behind. Yeah. Which is odd. So he was seen on surveillance footage at a local convenience store on the morning of his disappearance. And that was pretty Mm. much the only evidence that they had to work with in the immediate. So even though his family had no reason to suspect that he was involved in anything seedy, they actually hired a private investigator just to see if anything helpful could be uncovered. Right. You know, like anything that they could use to figure out where he might have gone. You know, was he keeping anything from us? They didn't think he was. Right. Um, So the investigator found nothing useful. Hmm. So by all accounts, Kelly really was who he presented himself as. Yeah. About a month later, in February of 2015, a fisherman discovered a deceased body in Lake Lanier that was later determined to be Kelly Nash. Oh, wow. So this is the strange Mm. part. The lake was two miles away from his home. It was cold and raining on this morning that he went missing. And the only evidence of what could have caused his death was a single gunshot wound in an undisclosed part of Nash's body. Oh. So I looked all over. Yeah. Couldn't find autopsy reports. Couldn't find any anywhere that police had confirmed. Like, had he been shot in the head? Had he been shot in the chest? Had he been shot in the toe? Like... Right. Nothing. So uh, theories on what happened to Kelly Nash range from suicide to homicide, hmm. unfortunately. So in right. the camp that believes that it might have been a suicide, the idea is that since it's believed that he died pretty close to where his body was discovered, that he walked out onto a dock, shot himself in a way that would land him in the water, and then he was just like hoping that he'd eventually be discovered. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's really sad. So his family has serious doubts that he would do this. Right. Like they have no reason to believe he was not unhappy. He right. was doing things. And I know that there are unfortunately so many stories like, like that. If this is in fact a suicide yeah, where it's like, I, nobody knew. Yeah. No one could tell. And, and they just kept it to themselves until, until they couldn't anymore. Right. And, and very how, heartbreaking, yeah. very, very heartbreaking. So many others also don't buy it. Did he really walk in the freezing cold for two miles with flu and cold symptoms undetected by anybody just to kill himself? So those who believe that it was a homicide bring up the fact that the garage door was left cracked open, which wasn't something that Nash would normally do. Yeah. So some people wonder if maybe he heard something outside or in the garage and he went to go investigate and he got snatched up. Yeah. That's it's possible, but to this day his death hasn't been solved. Wow. Yeah, very sad. Sad. But this one's sadder. Sorry. <laughs> do you remember in 2012? I don't I don't know if you will remember, but do you remember when it was all over the news that Usher's stepson had been in a serious boating accident? Mm, vaguely. So that actually happened at Lake Lanier. Oh, wow. Mhm. So 11-year-old Kyle Glover and a 15-year-old friend of his were on an inner tube when suddenly a jet ski being driven by family friend Jeffrey Hubbard struck the children on the tube. Yeah. Some reports say that he was driving like extremely erratically. Yeah. And almost every report that I read 
said that his mom saw it all happen. Oh, no. Yeah. It's like crushing. Oh, so heartbreaking. So the children were rushed to the hospital, um, Kyle in critical condition, uh, and he would quickly be put on life support. Mm. So heartbreakingly, Kyle Glover would be removed from life support and would pass away. In 2014, two years after the incident, Hubbard would be sentenced to four years in prison on charges of homicide by vessel, Mm -hmm. serious injury by vessel, and unlawful operation of a watercraft. Wow. This story is terrible, but you should all look more into it. So in the years since his passing, Kyle's mom, Tamika Foster Raymond, would start a foundation in her son's memory and write a book about him as well. Oh, yeah. She says it's not a sad book. This is a happy book. Yeah. There's a lot of quotes that I read of her. Like, I might cry. There's a lot of quotes that I have read from her. Yeah. And they're all like, if you're a parent, you get exactly what she means. Yeah. So I'll just share this one quote from her that she made uh, in a post on Instagram in honor of what would have been his 20th birthday. Quote, I will begin by saying thank you. Thank you for choosing me. I feel honored. I carried you. Met, taught, cared for, and loved you. And lo and behold, you were a whole angel. I should be so lucky. Oh. Yeah. So I want to go buy her book. I'll link it so you guys can buy it too. Yeah. So there are several more cases of missing and murdered people, but I don't have time to share them all. Right. I'll just share the most recent one that I could find, uh, which was one week ago. In July of 2022, the remains of a body that had recently been found in a wooded area near the lake were identified as belonging to 19-year-old mother of two, Sarai Llanos Gomez. She was from Ecuador and had recently relocated to Atlanta where she hoped to pursue better opportunities. Yeah. So she'd left her children for the time in Ecuador with her mother and Mm -hmm. she was like sending them money. Yeah. And there's some, you know, concerns that her mother had about maybe her, the career or the, the job that she'd initially chosen may have not worked out. Mm -hmm. Potentially there's some things like trafficking involved. There's, there's very little details available right now, but since her discovery, her death has been ruled and is being investigated as a homicide. Oh man. So beyond that, that's pretty much all the information that I could find for now. So I'll be looking for updates and make sure to share them when they come. Yeah. So regardless of what you believe about the paranormal, Lake Lanier surely has earned its controversial and dark Mm -hmm. reputation. You will not catch me out there under any circumstances. (laughs) But if you happen to go there, just be careful. Yeah. Like, especially people that like live in the area, like they would know it better than we would. I was reading, like I said, on Reddit and um, a lot of people were like, oh, this is so annoying. I hate that everybody says it's haunted. People are just dumb. Mm. Like that's a very popular point of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they all just kind of roll their eyes at all of the claims, but- Um, just, you know, they all chalk it up to the same thing. So actually, if you have some time, I'm kind of rambling. Sorry. If you have some time, you need to Google Lake Lanier dives. Hmm. Cause there are professional divers that will go down and it's like super dark and murky down there. Yeah. And some of the stuff that they find is so scary. Ooh, it's very scary and very weird. So either way, yeah. whatever you believe about Lake Lanier, <laughs> be careful if you go there. Yeah. Don't be crazy. Don't be dumb. And that is all that I have for this week. Wow. I feel like with a location like that, that you can go to right now, that honestly probably wouldn't feel all that spooky to mm-hmm. most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you know the history behind it, it yeah. probably like would feel a little eerie. It'd be eerie to be boating above what you know what was once someone's home yeah. that they were forced out of, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's, that would be eerie and weird. And, and then to know that there's, I mean, just the number of deceased bodies. Yeah. There was one story. I didn't include it. Um, so forgive me for not remembering the details cause it's not in my notes, but, uh, this guy, I think his boat got stuck on something. Couldn't figure out what it was. And, uh, I think it was during a time that the water levels were like a little bit lower mm-hmm. And when he either had somebody come help him or when he was able to get the boat loose, he was stuck on a van, on a minivan. 
Oh. And there was a deceased body in the van. Oh, yeah. no, that'd be weird. That's Oof. like horrifying to yeah. me. That's so scary. Yeah. The, the idea <sighs> that like you actually don't know. Because like some people have like the fear of like open water, deep water, yeah. dark water. Yeah. Very normal thing mm-hmm. to be freaked out about because it's like the element of the unknown. Totally. But with this lake, just with what we do know, that's scary enough to me. Right. Imagine Ooh. the stuff that we don't know. Yeah. Cause there's stuff down there that people haven't run mm-hmm. into yet. And when there's a lot of things too, like abandoned houseboats. Yeah. Like they, there was like a news story, like within the last couple of weeks that a, a ghost boat that had been the source of a lot of local ghost stories had hmm. been removed finally after like 40 years or something Jeez. crazy like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and just two weeks ago, the headline was that, uh, Deaths at Lake Lanier are on the rise again. Yeah. So even just with the information we do have, it's enough for yeah. me to be like, I'll go to a different lake. Yeah. So Lake Lanier has a, a reputation that we are, have very clearly laid out now for anybody that's on vacation in Georgia. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. I've seen a lot of pictures of it and there is like a lot of cool things to see. Mm. And I saw this video. I think it was on, I think it was a TikTok that someone shared on Reddit where there's like all these people on a dock in like shallow water Mm -hmm. and the dock is just like casually breaking apart and sinking with like people (laughs) jumping off of it and trying to get to safety. And some people are like, it's a sea monster. Like it's a monster. And everyone else is like, nah, it's just like a little top heavy. It was like one of those like tiered (laughs) docks. And there's like a hundred people on the top row and no one on the bottom. So it's just breaking apart. This was not a wise, uh, wise way of using that uh, dock. Yeah. There are a lot of people who want it to close down for recreational Mm. use. Like this is so dangerous. We can prevent more deaths from happening. Yeah. Like, and we can also in a sense kind of like honor the people who have passed away in the lake Yeah, by closing it down and not letting it happen to anybody else. Right. You know? Right. So, and there are like for every person that's annoyed by the haunted tag Mm -hmm. on the lake that is like a local or is familiar with the lake. There are people that are local that are like, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go there. Right. Like, no way. Mm. Like, haunted or not, I'll never go there. Yeah. So, it is just an interesting place. Yeah, sounds like it. It is a very interesting place. Yeah. So. Well, with that, thank you for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. This one, I think, covers, oh man, it it covers the gamut pretty well. Yeah. I'd say mostly, for me unsettling a lot of unsettling stories that give me goosebumps and Mm -hmm. you know very quintessential ghost stories in Mm -hmm. that way yeah yeah what about you i i think i would agree that that's probably the main the main feeling that i have about it is unsettled but everything about it is unusual and (laughs) also very unsavory yeah specifically the history yeah yeah specifically the history history is definitely unsavory it's very dark yes makes me sad Mm-hmm. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode and uh, would like to listen to more as they come, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, we'd love it if you would leave a five-star review on the podcast that helps other people find this podcast. You can also follow us on all of our socials at This One Is A Doozy and on Facebook at This One's A Doozy Podcast. And uh, you can also send us an email, this one is a doozy at gmail.com, where you can share your personal stories and any recommendations that you might have. And uh, we've got some personal stories that we're getting ready to share, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is actually a good moment. We mm-hmm. should probably next week, maybe put it at the front too. But yeah. for now, we're going to start making a push for people to send in their personal stories because for October, we want to release some bonus content. We want to release some ex- extra like spooky stories, like haunted places, weird dolls, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But we would love to have our first like listener story edition of the podcast mm-hmm. happen during October during spooky fun. season. So yeah. we have, I think we have either three or four right now, not quite enough for a full episode, but we're getting closer. Mm-hmm. So please send those in. We would love to read them on the show and to everyone who sent them in so far. Thank you. I yeah. really appreciate it. I've loved reading them. I've like laughed out loud and gasped out loud and yeah. I'm keeping them from Kevin because I want him <laughs> to be surprised. Yeah. So 
yeah, we would love it if you guys would send in your stories. Yeah. Well, with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.